the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. Our stories include: the IMF deputy says global inflation may come faster than expected, and the EU targets Apple Pay in latest big tech antitrust case. And now let's begin with our top story. International Monetary Fund Deputy Managing Director K.G. Okumura says inflation may turn out to be even faster than global central. Bankers anticipate. He says the risk is rising, and inflation in the U.S. hit 8.5 percent in March. Consumer prices in the OECD area also rose by 8.8 percent in the same month. The U.S. central bank accelerated its attempts to contain the soaring inflation earlier this week. The Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate by a half percentage point. But can this tame inflation without a recession? For more on this, join. Joining us on the line now are Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, welcome to our show. Always a pleasure. So, first, Dan, the IMF Deputy Managing Director Ukumura warns that inflation may be faster than expected. So, what's your take? What are some of the main reasons for the high inflation around the world today? Uh, inflation ultimately is a monetary phenomenon, and so after COVID, there was this oversupply of money in most of the developed economies,、uh, especially in the U.S. and Europe. And we have also seen the energy crisis that's induced by the Ukraine war, which has pushed up the、uh, gas prices in the U.S. particularly. But、uh, aside from that, there's also the wage inflation.、Uh, the labor unions are getting stronger in the U.S. and also in Europe, and workers have more negotiation power for better wages.、Mm. And so, Anna, do you agree with them? What do you think are some of the main reasons?、Uh, it seems that a lot of reasons: the conflict in Ukraine, the COVID nineteen, etc., etc. Right. Yeah, we, it's kind of an inflection point right now, and it's, it has to do with many factors beyond just、uh, talking about inflation. I mean, the Ukraine situation is endemic of a world that's in disarray. You have、um, deglobalization,、um, more、uh, more activity, especially on the security front. But I, I'm going to d- disagree a little bit with Wadan.、Uh, I, I really don't think this is about、uh, monetary and fiscal policy.、Uh, poor people don't eat less because you know. Fiscal policy and, and trying to solve this、uh, with rate increases ignores the obvious fact that you need energy to run your economy and people need food to exist. They both of those have been severely impacted. In addition to that, you have the logistics crisis that、uh, Danden mentioned, and also you know wages, etc. But these are snowballing. So I'm going to agree、uh, with the.、Uh, Uh, the, the deputy that this is a very serious situation that people have underestimated it, and that you're probably going to see some、uh, much stronger than expected、uh, inflation numbers、uh, coming out when we start、uh, putting the April numbers together.、Mm. And talking about the conflicts in Ukraine, it actually is having repercussions globally. You know, through various channels, including the rising commodity prices, the energy prices, food prices. So,、uh, Ina, how do you explain the spillover effects? Well, I mean, it, it's it's directly related to what was being exported. It's not just about the energy、uh, 
that was coming from uh, Russia, Ukraine and Russia together, as we said before, 25% of the world's exportable wheat. You go to areas in uh, North Africa and Middle East where, you know, they have 60, 70% uh, reliance on the wheat that was coming. There isn't going to be a wheat harvest in Ukraine uh, for the winter wheat. And the summer, I mean, the uh, spring planting season is going to come and go and there won't be any. So there's going to be a food shortage. Uh, add on in India, they, uh, I mean, literally the fields are melting. Uh, they've had a huge heat wave. What they expected was to have a surplus of wheat that they could export. And now it looks like they might be forced to import. So you start looking at all these signs and it's very clear that inflation, uh, what you do with the fiscal monetary side is not going to help you when it comes to people's basic needs for food and energy. Mm. And Ina, so for the developed economies, what are some of the current uh, structural problems in the U.S. and Europe? Well, I mean, this I agree. They, they're too much debt. Um, there was over-reliance. You know, you start looking at $24 trillion in, uh, in debt in the U.S. Uh, you look at Europe. Uh, both of them are looking at stagflation. Uh, where you have, you know, rising uh, commodity prices because of shortages. And then also you have very, very slow moving economies because they are pushing down. Um, both sides are going to be looking at trying to arm themselves for this eventual recession that's coming. And what they want to do is uh, have something, they, you know, some fiscal monetary policies that they can implement to kind of drag uh, the, uh, the economy upwards when it's needed they don't have it now because they spent a lot of it uh, during this uh, uh, past COVID period. Uh, very, very difficult to see how they're going to get out of it. And as uh, you know, Dan had said, wages are rising. Um, intermediate uh, goods are very difficult to come by because of supply shortages in addition to the just pure shipping uh, issues out there. So right now, it does not look good. Um, you know, you've had a number of prominent economists who've come out and said, well, the recession's coming. Hopefully it's not worse than that. Mm. I tend to agree. So, Dan, actually, you mentioned the fiscal and monetary policy, but, uh, you know, the U.S. Federal Reserve actually raised its uh, benchmark interest rate by 0.5%. So what does this mean for the American business, consumers, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, by having a higher interest rate, that means the borrowing cost will go up. Um, for American companies that are heavily in debt, that means they have to pay back more. Uh, it's going to be a big burden uh, for a lot of the small businesses. Uh, and for the consumer sector, obviously, the biggest borrowing is in mortgages. And right now, the housing market is overheated in the U.S. and it's just getting way too expensive for anyone to afford uh, any apartments Uh especially for those low-income families. So I would think that with the current pace of the interest rate hike by the Federal Reserve, we're looking at probably a 3% federal funds rate by the end of this year. Um, by then, it will be much higher than even the rate in China. And that means the cost of doing business in the U.S. will be very, very high. Mm -hmm. And how do you explain the U.S. market response to this uh, Federal Reserve decision? Actually, the U.S. Uh, financial markets tumbled today, right? Uh, right. The stock market tend to overreact once something like this happened. But actually, uh, the hike of the interest rate is largely expected. The market had expected this half a percentage point raise. Um, but when it comes to uh, the adjustment, it's usually tricky in the first couple of days. 
uh, with higher interest, that means higher interest rate. That means the global capital will tend to fly back, a uh, flow back to the U.S. market to seek higher return. Um, but this will take some time. And for tech companies, because they are very sensitive to interest rate, and their stock prices will be affected greatly in the beginning, but will recover fast as well.、Mm-hmm. So, Anna, so how do you think about the U.S.、Uh, stock market response? Well, I mean, there's going to be more repricing. People think that this is the end. I, I'm, I'm unfortunately, they're sadly mistaken. Things are going to continue to drift downwards.、Um, I, I want to add one nuance to what Dan、uh, Dan Dan said, and that is, you know, fiscal monetary policy is great when you're you're talking about trying to slow down investment, all right, because it's it, the markets are overheated. But right now in the U.S., productivity last month took a dump of 7.5 percent. That is massive. That means that you know, for, uh, things have, are going in the exactly wrong direction. Wages go up, and unfortunately, the the actual output is going down. So you know, you have a situation right now where people aren't investing. Companies aren't investing in themselves. Yeah, they are putting some money into research and development, but they're not putting enough money into expanding capacity. And without that. You know the future is very bleak. If I'm not adding to my factory, my factory is getting older. Other if other places in the air in the world are building new factories, probably theirs are going to be much more efficient. You know we've reached a, a kind of thing. So the, the, the bad news and the good news is that we you know we have change,、uh, but trying to tackle the new circumstances with old systems, it's like old generals fighting the last war. We have new ways of doing it. Technology is going to be very important. And th- that's where people should be looking, looking、mm-hmm. to solve the current issues with、uh, new approaches.、Mm-hmm. And then, so a lot of people are concerned that、uh, the Federal Reserve's action also risk,、uh, you know, triggering a sharp economic slowdown. But what can the Biden administration do about it besides just、uh, raising the interest rates? Uh, well, the Federal Reserve have two mandates.、Uh, one is to curb inflation, and the other one is to maintain a relatively low unemployment rate.、Uh, right now, the labor market is pretty tight, so they basically just focus on bringing down the inflation.、Uh, I believe in a year or two,、uh, just as what the、uh, bond market has reflected,、uh, probably by the end of 2023,、uh, the inflation rate will be brought down、uh, below two percent. This year and next year will just have to be very difficult period, similar to the end of the 70s and、uh, much part of the 80s.、Uh, this is just a necessary cost to pay、uh, in order to tame、uh, this price pressure.、Mm. So, Aina, so what do you think can the Biden administration do? No, right now they're not they're doing much, and what the the low hanging fruit still remains tariffs. You could add somewhere between one and one point three percent. Uh, take one、uh, to one point three points off of inflation if they simply just got rid of it.、And、my understanding is that、uh, Yellen and the、uh, Secretary of Commerce are having a bit of a issue with Capron Sai. Capron、uh, wants to maintain strength and、uh, actually is pushing for more tariffs against China,、uh, whereas、uh, Yellen and Commerce are looking to just get rid of them so that they can actually do it. In the end, I think Biden will do the politically. And the interest rate hike actually will not only raise the borrowing costs for Americans; it will also push up the value of the U.S. dollar. So, Dan, so can you tell us about this impact on the emerging market economies? Will they experiencing some, you know, capital outflows? 
very likely. Uh, and now it's not just towards the U.S. Uh, the European Central Bank is also pondering about the idea of raising their rates by the end of the year, uh, at least once. And uh, a lot of the money in the emerging market are already very jittering. So that means we probably will see a acceleration in capital outflow throughout the rest of the year. So, uh, Aina, do you agree? So, what will be its impact on some emerging countries? You know, especially like、uh, you know, country like、uh, Sri Lanka. Well, that's the point. I mean, we, I, I agree with the logic of what Dan says, but what you have is a situation where you have debts、um, by these developing countries, and but they don't have enough food. And they don't have energy. So, given a choice between feeding their people and running their economy or paying their debts, they're not going to pay their debts.、Mm-hmm. So, this idea that、uh, things you're going to see more collapses going around. You have uh, uh, Turkey, 70% inflation.、Um, you have food shortages. These are going to continue. This is just kind of adding on to this, these, these issues. And the U.S. is not going to be immune to that. The government is going to be paying more for their, despite the inflow of dollars. No one's going to invest if they, unless they get a decent rate. And、uh, with inflation climbing, the pressure to get more yield is going to be there. So it's it's a vicious circle、uh, that's going to push the U.S. debt higher. And when that happens,、um, Uncle Sam is going to have to dig deeper into his pocket to, to do that.、Uh, last year it was about five and five hundred and fifty million. If you triple that, that's a big part of、uh, this, you know, the proposed six trillion dollar budget that they were、uh, pushing forward from the Biden administration. And this is a very, very serious thing. It really will collapse a lot of the、uh, alternatives that the U.S.、Uh, has. Mm-hmm. And Ina, so we've also seen the Indian Central Bank announcing, you know, a surprise increase to its、uh, interest rate. While Australia Central Bank also do it. And what do you think will be the implications from all these monetary policies for the global economy? Can they tame the inflation without a recession? No, they can't. And and this is what I understand. It's 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 you're not addressing it. I don't care what you do with fiscal and monetary policy. It's not going to grow more wheat, and it's not going to deliver more gas.、Um, it's 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 impossible. They're doing what they can. I'm not I'm not、uh, criticizing them. But you know, the fact is, there's going to be a competition for the available food and energy that's out there, and you're going to have prices rising. It's supply and demand. So at this juncture,、um, I understand that they're trying to look like they're doing something, but in actuality, they're not. And then, so we've seen the Federal Reserve's decision was felt in the financial markets, but will we see more turbulence as、uh, you know a lot of support gets removed?、Uh, we will,、um, because、uh, one thing is that there's a high anxiety in the market on what's going to come. The Omicron variant is not going away anytime soon. Although the U.S. has this new policy of basically letting go of any of the restrictions, it doesn't mean that productivity is not hurt. It doesn't mean all the logistical problem will go away. And then we will see that the consumer demand is still pretty high,、um, but the productivity is hurt.、Uh, the import will probably be lower since the rest of the world is also affected by the pandemic. And then the Federal Reserve has to be very careful about how fast it hikes the interest rate. It might go too far and then drag the economy into this prolonged recession. And by then,、uh, we might see a potential crash of the stock market in、uh, in the U.S. 
people have been talking about this, like how high the value can go for the U.S. stocks. It just seems that it's limitless. But obviously, by any economic principle, it's not limitless. Uh, and at some point, there has to be a major correction. We just don't know when it will happen. So, Ina, the World Bank said 60% of the low-income countries are already in debt stress or at high risk of it. So what could the uh, international community do to help them? This is, requires a, a united response. And in the report that was done by uh, uh, Kenji Okamara, uh, he, he said, you know, they need about 10, uh, $15 billion this year and $10 billion next year. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the EU targets Apple Pay in the latest big tech antitrust case. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The European Commission has accused Apple of abusing its market position for its smartphone digital payments. It said Apple may have broken competition law by preventing rivals from accessing its tap-and-go technology. Apple denies the charge. If the charges are upheld, Apple could face a fine of up to 10% of the company's global turnover last year. So, Aina, so the EU is asking why Apple Pay is the only NFC wallet on iPhones. So what's the significance of it? And what is NFC wallets or technology? Well, I mean, this is your ability to uh, transfer between phone and phone. So if you and I meet up and I owe you some money, I can just tap your phone and then it goes directly. It's uh, It can be done offline. So that that's one of the important things. And then it's verified and, and uh, accounted for when you go back online. Um, The issue here is antitrust. Uh, What you have are these massive players who are out there, in essence, controlling the market. And there's a sense that instead of competing for your business, they're now just taxing you uh, for the, you know, for the privilege of using their particular platforms. Uh, Apple has run into a series of these, so has Google. Uh, And in China, interesting enough, they had the same thing with Tencent and Alipay. And what's most interesting to me is when the government said, look, we, you have to have cross-platform payments. You mm-hmm. can't say if you're using one, you can't use the other. And they changed that. And, but at the time, the reaction worldwide was that's the end of you know, competition in China. Um, but when it happens to Apple Pay, people have a slightly different situation. It's, uh, it's kind of one of those uh, hypocrisies that I, I noticed over time. But yeah, the, the EU is probably going to end up finding them. They're going to have to uh, negotiate some sort of settlement. Uh, it is uh, monopolistic. Mm-hmm. And so, Dan, what do you think? Is it possible for Apple to restrict the access of a third-party developers to the technology NFC or you know, for digital or mobile uh, payments, uh, actually, what other options do consumers have? Um, if people are using an iPhone, uh, the iOS operating system uh, can effectively allow only Apple's own mobile wallet software to use the NFC chip and forbid all the others. Um, and 
in March, uh, when we talk about the EU's new agreement of a Digital Markets Act, um, that's basically saying that Apple cannot do this anymore. Um, it wants to forbid any company from giving preferential treatment to their own apps and services. Uh, and now we're seeing uh, the consequence of, uh, of, this, uh, of this new act. Um, Apple could probably appeal uh, trying to fight uh, EU with this, con- uh, with this decision. But eventually, I think Apple will have to open up its operating system to law. Allow others to come in, mm. and then so talking about the digital mobile payment. Actually, here in China, we have WeChat Pay, AliPay, etc. So, how would you compare them with uh, Apple Pay? Uh, well, Apple Pay is also used in China. Uh, it is a collaboration with Union Pay and using NFC. Uh, it's a pure uh, payment tool, a lot faster than actually the WeChat Pay and AliPay. Um, because when we use WeChat Pay, for example, we do need to open it, uh, use the barcode, or let others to scan us. Uh, it's a few seconds longer. Um, but essentially, WeChat Pay and Alipay are internet banks. So they have different position in the financial system. But for consumers, they won't feel really much the difference um, besides the speed in payment. Mm. And Aina, so what do you think? Why are those, you know, mobile payments so much popular in China these years? And how important are they for the development of China's digital economy? Well, China never, uh, because China developed over the last 40 years, it doesn't have the kind of legacy systems that uh, special interests in terms of banks, the credit card companies, etc. have in uh, both Europe and the United States. Uh, you'll notice that there's a sharp correlation between, um, you know, special interests who have vested interests in keeping technology there. Uh, you can look at Deutsche Telekom, which uh, delivers the 23rd, uh, they're number 23 out of 26 in the speed of their internet. Yet their their prices are plenty high, uh, and they're they're able to do it because they have a monopoly. And and that's exactly what Danon says. There are these rules now coming in with these big behemoths trying to control and tax people as opposed to provide services that they need to sharpen up and and they need to abide by some rules and stop being so lazy and anti-competitive. And so then China has also created the digital renminbi or digital yuan. Actually, this is the first digital currency issued by a major economy. So how has it been faring so far? Uh, So far, the digital yuan has been extended to many of the second tier cities. uh, And that's a pretty big step forward um, because previously it was in uh, restricted pilot zones. and uh, people are using um, are using the digital currency mainly as a testing tool uh, to see whether it can be used to pay for things smoothly. And now it looks like uh, the central bank's app actually worked quite well. So essentially, I think it will uh, replace a big part of uh, the WeChat Pay and AliPay at some point. And also because this kind of currency can be used offline, it's also uh, safer and uh, more reliable when uh, disasters happen, like the flood in Zhengzhou happened, when there's no electricity and people can still use uh, no Wi-Fi and people still can use the central bank digital currency to pay for things. Mm. So, Aina, so what benefits does the digital yuan have over the traditional currencies and the mobile payment platforms? Uh, uh, it's a long list. Uh, first off, um, it's more secure. 
Second, there's tracking. So it's going to be much harder to be a thief or, uh, uh, you know, to be corrupt or whatever uh, if you're uh, using uh, this currency. Um, also, in terms of speed and cost, uh, it will lower the cost of transactions and increase the speed. You know, mm-hmm. people from my generation, we remember when, you know, to check clear, it'll take two weeks to clear this check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody sent you money. Now, you know, it's a, a few nanoseconds. Uh, and that, that, that will continue. Remember, what drives the Internet in terms of uh, interaction with the economies is efficiencies. Uh, when I'm able to reduce the cost because I'm doing, you know, larger batches of transactions and things like that, that's everyone's benefit. It puts more money in people's pockets. And at the same time, I'm able to earn more. So this is uh, the phenomenon, and digital currency fits squarely in that uh you know, the nations will be able to tax at the point of transaction. You won't have to invest money in, in doing your tax returns. Uh, there's so many things and a tremendous number of services that will be added because of the way these are. It'll allow for smart contracts, which means that will lower the cost of transactions between uh, small, medium-sized enterprises, probably one of the most significant uh, issues in the kind of development of of these, you know, powerhouses of almost every single nation. Uh, they're the ones who produce the jobs and the ingenuity. Mm-hmm. And Dan, so do you think we will see a day when mobile payments or digital currencies become the dominant mode of financial transactions? Uh, in a way, this has already happened. Uh, the money is quite cumbersome for consumers and banks. Uh, if we remember the time before we had mobile payment, China only had about like 4% online transaction in 2004, but now it's almost 90% of the transactions are done online. So I do think in the future, we'll realize more benefits of doing things online, uh, like the government can monitor tax evasion uh, and people can find it safer and faster to do any kind of financial investment or transaction of course, the downside, like uh, the privacy issue, the cybersecurity issues are still there, but it just has to be this necessary step for people to transition to this new era where there is no hard cash. So, Aina, can we become a cashless society in the future? Well, it's, it's not a question of can we. We will be, uh, simply because... Um, you know, all the things that Dan and I've talked about, uh, it is much more efficient. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.